being a blessing to our family. In just a moment, we're going to review part of the video that we showed on Wednesday night. And we're going to just look at the last part of it that deals with the, with the Hmong situation. And we're going to, I'm going to, in the message this morning, be going into greater detail. And I trust it will encourage you and just cause you just to you just be in awe of what God can do. And um, certainly not what man did accomplish there, but, but what, what, what God did. And, and I pray that it will be a challenge to each and every one of us to see that God would like to use us in whatever capacity he would choose in order to reach other people and, and how God can use us to, to accomplish his, his will and getting the gospel to, to the regions beyond in our own Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so I'm going to be referencing in the message this morning some of the things that you see in this video. And so we'll just go ahead and cue it up right now, and then we'll get into the message. read biographies of past men and women of God and seen what God had done through them and how God used them. Uh, if you haven't had that opportunity yet, I encourage you to do so, and you can certainly talk to your pastor, and he can certainly recommend some people to, to read up on. But there's a trap that we can all fall into when we read those biographies of past men and women of God, and, and we can develop this mindset that says, where we think, well, well that was then. You know, that was 100 years ago, that was 200 years ago. Uh, things like this just don't happen today. Uh, Pastor Sargent mentioned about uh, just, just practicing missions as is laid out in, in the Bible and, and just trusting God's word that it wouldn't return void. And he testified on how and what God did there in, in, in Fiji. And he can testify and we can testify today with the Hmong brethren in, in Laos that, yes, things like what happened 100 years ago and 200 years ago can still happen today. Friends, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we desire to see God work in such a way that leaves no doubt in people's mind but to say, not look at what the missionary did, not look at what the pastor did, but look at what God did. Amen? Now, here in Numbers chapter 23, we're really just going to take a, a phrase. Uh, uh, we're going to look at verse 23 and really use that as a textual peg uh, to, to leap into the message here th this morning. This was a time when the king of Moab, Balak, had hired Balaam to come and curse the Israelites. And in verse 23 of Numbers 23, Balaam says, Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? What hath God wrought? Do you desire to see God work in incredible ways? Well, we're going to talk about what God hath wrought here this morning, but let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. 
with grateful hearts. I just just sat there just listening to the music this morning and how it just just re rejoiced my heart. And uh, just thankful for this church and thankful for the testimony of this church and, and for the pastor and, and those in, in leadership. And, and, and I think even of Brother Noah George this morning, Father, that you would encourage him and, and protect him and his family and continue to open doors there that no man can shut. And so, Father, we uh, just pray that you would help us to um, just really see you at work here this morning and not wanting to highlight what man has done, but really to show what, what you have done and use that as an encouragement in each and every one of our lives to say, well, what, what can God do with me and how uh, being faithful to your word and, and trusting you and being empowered can, what, what can God do here in, 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 in North Pole and in, in this part, in this corner of the world uh, through this church and through the individual members of this church. So we just ask your blessings to be upon it all. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. My home church and sending church is Fargo Baptist Church. And our church has operated a Christian radio station for, for a number of years. Uh, it was in the, I think it was in the late 90s, while I was still going to Bible college, my pastor asked me if I'd be willing to, to produce a missions radio broadcast for, for the station. And so I started doing that. Uh, these programs were not done live. They, they were pre-recorded. And I would go in on a Saturday morning and, and record several episodes and edit them and get them ready to be aired uh, the following week. And mostly what I would do is uh, I would read missionary prayer letters. I wanted the people in, 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 in that part of North Dakota to be able to hear what God is doing at, uh, in other parts of the world. And, but I also wanted people to get a burden to pray for these missionaries. And there was one particular broadcast that I was reading uh, this particular prayer letter, and to this day I, I, I couldn't tell you who, who this missionary was. I couldn't even tell you the continent where this took place. All I can remember is that uh, as I was, I was all alone in the recording studio, and it's just me and this microphone, and I was reading this prayer letter, and I... I was so moved at what I was reading and how God just, just showed up and did something, the special work of God in this, in, in this tribal people group where this missionary was working. And it so moved me, my eyes began to well up with tears. And, and of course, I, you know, everything just went blurry. I couldn't read what was on the paper there. And, and I, I just finally just had to hit the stop on the record button, and, and I backed away from the, the table, and I just buried my head in my hands, and I said, I prayed, I said, God, would, would you do something like that in my life? In essence, I was, I was praying, God, would you bring me to a people that is prepared for the gospel? Now, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I probably forgot about that prayer within a week. <laughs> I had finished Bible college in time, got was married uh, both in the year 2000. 9-11 uh, happened, and God used that in our life to say, okay, now's the time to go. 
I'm not going to take the time this morning and how God directed us to Thailand, but we spent uh, 2002 and 2003 on deputation. We got to Thailand January 2004, spent the first year in language school uh, because I needed to pass a, a sixth grade Thai government proficiency test in order to have a missionary visa. So our first year was, was really focused on the language 2005 came missionary Tom Godet. I'm not sure if this church is familiar with him or not, but uh, he had come out to that region of the world. We're going to co-labor together on some projects. And uh, it was uh, in July of 2005 when Brother Godet had, had heard in, in the local media about these, these Hmong refugees that came from Laos. And, and, and they... They, they escaped Laos. They set up this makeshift refugee camp in north-central Thailand. Uh, they were literally living on the edge of the road. As this video started, you saw, uh, as we were on the road, and we saw, you saw those rickety bamboo huts there on the side of the road. That's what they were living in. These refugees brought only their, all, all their worldly possessions is what they could carry on their back, and, and, and that is all that they had. Who are these refugees? These refugees, well, let me back up to the time of the Vietnam War. Not many people realize this, but our Central Intelligence Agency, our CIA, fought a secret war in Laos during the time of the Vietnam War. We were training the, the Hmong people to fight against communism from, from northern Vietnam coming into Laos. So on a map, you'd have, let's say, Thailand here, then you would have Laos here, and then it was Vietnam here. So Laos was a buffer uh, to keep the communists at bay instead of uh, coming even into Thailand. However, when our government pulled out of Vietnam, our CIA also pulled out of Laos, and we left the Hmong people to fend for themselves. I'll just put it that way. Communism, the, the North, Vietnam, North Vietnamese army came into northern Laos, or came, came into Laos, and um, really it, they, they split the Hmong people into two groups of people. There was the southern group that had free and clear access to cross the Mekong River into, into Thailand where refugee camps were set up, and over time, over the next uh, few uh, decades, many of them were able to emigrate to the United States. Fresno, California, Wausau, Wisconsin, St. Paul, Minnesota are big hubs and pockets of among people group. Well, the group that was cut off, uh, they, they couldn't escape into Thailand. They couldn't go into communist China. Well, they didn't want to, and they certainly didn't want to go into communist Vietnam. And so they melted into the jungles and uh, up on the, the mountaintops, and, and they just existed there for a few decades. And then in 2005, some uh, human traffickers got the bright idea of how to make some money and began trafficking those people illegally into Thailand where this makeshift refugee camp was set up. And um, with the hopes, many of those refugees had hopes that they would also then be able to immigrate to the United States, much like their parents, uh, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters did years before. And so after Tom Godet had heard about this, he, uh, we, we went to make an initial survey trip there to, to see what ministry possibilities existed. Uh, we met with some of the Christians there, 
determine some of the literature needs, we went back to Bangkok where we were uh, basing ministry out of at the time, and we collected as much information, much resources as we could, and we made a second trip to the refugee camp. Now, I um, am, uh, really am ashamed to say this, uh, but I only had a small interest in the refugees at first. You see, I had this attitude that God called us to Thailand to reach Thai Buddhists. And these, these, these Lao Hmong refugees, they really weren't on my radar screen. First of all, they weren't Thai. They, they were from Laos. But, but secondly, they weren't Buddhists. The, the Hmong people grew up there. They're animists. They're spirit worshipers. And so, uh, you know, I thought God had brought us to Thailand to reach a certain group of people. And so, as I said, they weren't even on my radar screen. But what we learned through this is that sometimes God has to bring you from point A to point B so that you can see point C, where he wants you. And on our second trip into the refugee camp, uh, the refugees asked me if I would be willing. They had a group of about 15 men and asked if we would be willing to teach the Bible to them. And... Um, In my heart, I, w I was in a dilemma at the time because I, I, on the one hand, I didn't want to be distracted and take time away from what I thought was our real purpose of being in Thailand, the Thai Buddhists. I didn't want to take time and resources away from, from that. Um, but I, so I, I half-heartedly agreed to do it, thinking, ah, this probably isn't going to last very long anyways. And, and you see, in my mind, I, I don't know why this happened. I don't know how this happened why this happened, because it certainly wasn't the way I was trained. But in my mind, I, I had come to the point where our, our ministry was either going to be with Thai Buddhists or it was going to be with these Hmong refugees. And, and the thought of doing both really, I didn't, again, for whatever reason, I didn't really even consider it at the time. But, but thankfully, God had mercy on me. And, you know, as we studied the, the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul, we, we see that Paul did not have that attitude. You know, it, it wasn't an either-or situation. The Apostle Paul said, oh, I don't know, should I work with these Ephesians or, or these Philippians? Oh, I don't know, uh, these Corinthians or, or these people in Galatia? You see, Paul didn't have this either-or mentality. He, he had a both-all mentality. He, is, he was seeking to make world-impacting disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we thought, well, okay, you know, okay, we, it's not an either-or situation. We can do both, and, 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 and we can have this, this both-all uh, mentality, and, 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 and that's what we did. We were going back and forth between the refugee camp and spending time with them as well as going back to Bangkok and, and continuing ministry down there. And then something began to happen that I wasn't expecting, and that was Lamentations 3.51, that uh, mine eye affecteth my heart. And as we began spending more and more time with them, God began changing our, uh, my heart about them and the opportunity there so much that we were able to rent a, 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 a cabin, basically, uh, on the edge of the refugee camp uh, so that we could spend more time teaching uh, the men and, and, and evangelizing. Um, it was about two months into the work, it was September 2005, while I was teaching, uh, the men there, a man walks up to me with a sheet of paper on it, 
And I, I took the piece of paper and I looked at it and, and all it had was names of people on it. And I said, well, what's this? And he says, these are all people who want to become Christians. And there's about 100 names on it. And uh, thankfully, I didn't verbalize what I was thinking. But, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, things like this just don't happen today. You know, don't, don't you know this was 2005? This isn't 100 years ago. This isn't 200 years ago. A group of people coming to faith in Christ, <laughs> this just doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, also I thought, you know, maybe my tie is still rusty. We were still fairly new in the country, and I thought, maybe I heard him wrong. And so I asked him a little bit more, and he says, no, I, no th th this is true. You see, we had been doing some evangelizing while we were there with, with tracks, and we were showing uh, some, some videos, like uh, some Christian videos there. Uh, for for all the refugees to watch and and um, I said well look I I can't deal with a hundred people here just in one time so what we had them do is the next day I said I want you to split this group up into maybe like five groups of about 20 people each and, and just let me spend a couple hours with each group and so the next day we, we with each group we would spend a couple hours with them and we would uh, go carefully through the gospel, explaining the gospel. And, and, and at the end, I would give an invitation, and, and every hand would go up. And I thought, they didn't get it. This is 2005, you know. <laughs> this just doesn't happen. So I thought, okay, there, there's, there, there is misunderstanding here, at least I thought. So I went through the gospel carefully as, as I could again, and this time we'd ask, Okay, if, if you would like to, to, to get saved, come forward. And everyone would come forward. And um, you saw in, in the video a group of men kneeling down, praying, and you saw me from the back, and, and we were praying with them. That, that was one of the groups from that day. And actually, as the day progressed, more and more people were coming to those groups in, in a Somewhere by the end of the day, there was 130 or so people who had, who had trusted Christ that day. And uh, your pastors know the church that I that I've come from. We, we don't um, practice easy prayerism at all. It, it's not about getting notches in your belt and trying to uh, coerce people into praying a prayer. We definitely believe in taking our time and uh, with them, making sure people understand. But for, for these refugees, they've been enslaved to demonic spirits their whole life. Um, they're, they're spiritists. And, and wherever they go, there's territorial spirits. And, and one of our Bible students told me later, his dad died um, while he was a teenager, and it was his duty to take over the, the sacrificing to, to evil spirits, to demonic spirits. And he said even as a, as, as a teenager, he was sick and tired of wherever you go, you have to find out which evil spirits, which demonic spirits are, you know, which has this territory, find out what they need to be 
what they require for sacrifices. You know, if anybody get, gets sick in the family, it's because they didn't do something right and the Spirit's punishing them, so they have to go and appease them and, and, and all this. And, and, and this whole group of people, thousands of people, have been living up in the jungle, enslaved to demonic spirits, and just hearing the name of Jesus Christ brought light and life to their dark and, and lifeless soul. And, and, and there was just a, a light, a freedom as... as I don't want to say the it's not everybody in in the in the refugee camp came to faith in Christ, but a good portion of them did. I, I don't know in the end maybe it was maybe five ten ten percent of 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 the people there. So I don't want to you know give the impression that was everybody there, but it was definitely several hundred when it was all said and done. Well, when someone becomes a Christian in the Hmong culture. You, the next step is to do what's called a spirit cleansing ceremony. And that's not a, as spooky as it sounds. W what it is, is a man of spiritual authority, like a pastor or a missionary, goes into their hut and collects the items of spirit worship that are, that are in the house, different paraphernalia. You take it outside the house where it's burned. Uh, there is a song. The Christians all come to this, a bunch of believers. We sing a we sing a song, and, and then there's a prayer that, that is done over the house, and that's the spirit cleansing ceremony. And so even before we could even do the spirit cleansing ceremony, the wife or the children would say, look, my husband or our father got a chance to become a Christian, but, but what about us? And so even before we could even do the spirit cleansing ceremony, there was the, the preaching of the gospel and explaining salvation to them, and then they would pray to receive Christ, and, and then we could do the spirit cleansing ceremony. Then it was about that time, the Christians and the leaders, uh, the Christian leaders there of the camp, came and asked us if we would be willing to start a church. And Pastor Skeving from our home church came, and we baptized the charter members, and Namkau Baptist Church was born. And, and from that point on, the church leaders took the oversight of the work, and we really just came alongside of them to help guide them and encourage them, continue to teach them and, and to disciple them. Um, they, there was a time, initially, they were using the church. There's a, in, in a nearby Thai village, there was a school that was there, and below the school, it was an open-air area that they assembled for services. And finally, the local Thai village said, look, you can't use our school anymore. And so it became clear that they're going to have to build their own church. And all the materials that they would cost them would be about $500. So they came and asked me, they said, um, you know, we're, we're going to have to build our own building. We're going to need $500. And I thought, this is a great opportunity um, the, the principles that we employed over there, as well as Pastor Sergeant, we, we haven't used the terminology of indigenous missions principles, but that's certainly what they were, teaching the people that, you know, to start works where they have their own leadership, where they, they're able to finance themselves, and they're able to take the gospel, to propagate the gospel on their own without any financial help from American churches or from missionaries. And so I, I sat the, the group down, and, and they asked me, they said, Could, you know, we, we need $500 to build our own building. And they're just looking at me like I'm a human ATM. 
Now, honestly, I, I could have gone to the ATM and withdrew, withdrew the $500 and just given it to them so they could build their building. But see, there was a, there was a, a dependency on the missionaries. There was a dependency on, uh, on the American churches thinking, well, you know, hey, we're, we hardly have anything in this world. These churches, these missionaries have a lot. They would certainly give it to us so, so we could do it. Uh, to, to build our building, but we taught them that their dependency on us and on American churches it was like a cap they're, they're, that, that would cap their spiritual growth. And as long as they were dependent on us, they would, not, they would just this, reach this cap and, and, and that was it. They wouldn't be able to break through that and continue to, to grow. And so I, I looked at them and, and I said, look, number one, you guys didn't even take this problem to God. You didn't even pray to God about this. You just thought you could come to me and I would just give you the money. And frankly, I struggled over that. I, I even, I, at that time, Tom Godet, our, our co-laborer, was, was in the U.S. I, it was the night before. I knew this meeting was going to happen. And it was the night before the meeting. I called Tom uh, there in, in, in Texas and I said, what do I do? I mean, our hearts, and, and I feel for Brother Noah George because I know exactly what's going on in his heart. These people have virtually nothing in this world, and you want to just give it to them. You just want to give them what, what they need. And, and Tom said to me, he said, you know, Brother Lang, he said, uh, in every situation, you can find a reason not to employ indigenous mission principles. And, you know, that really stuck with me. And so at that meeting, I said, you know what, guys, we're not giving you the money. And you could have seen the looks in the men's eyes, you know, as, a, as almost as a father turned his back on his son. And I explained. I, I, we, we, we explained and went into to, to great detail why this is not a good idea. And, you, and um, really only the pastor, and I'll get to him about the man who became the pastor in just a moment, but only really he understood what I was saying and, and, and agreed with it. Well, they ended up taking an offering amongst themselves, and it totaled $500. And when they put the last piece of thatched roof on their building, they still had $30 on hand. And now these men who looked at me like I betrayed them were coming up to me crying and weeping, just teary-eyed and saying, it wasn't, look at what churches in America helped us do. It wasn't, look at what missionary helped us do. It's look at what God did. Look at what God, God used us. And that's what they said, God used us, look at this. God used us to do this. And I explained to them that that was one of the things that was needed to, to remove that lid that was capping their spiritual growth, and knowing that eventually they're going to be sent back to Laos, they're not going to be able to come to us at that time you know, in, in a communist country. They needed that. It was a ex very extremely difficult time emotionally for us, but it, it was for their good. And um, it was... 
about 2009, we knew the Thai government was getting ready to send them back to Laos, and so we encouraged the church leaders to uh, have a strategy, have a plan to, to continue a church planting movement back in Laos. And the last church service occurred on their fourth anniversary Sunday, and shortly after that, the Thai military did move forcibly return all the refugees back to Laos. The man who became the pastor of Nam Khao Baptist Church, his name is Lee Sang. He was called to preach in Laos. He was saved and called to preach in Laos well before we met him. And because Laos is a communist country, there's no above-ground Bible colleges there. And so what you have to do is you have to find another pastor who's willing to take you under his wing to be able to teach you the Bible and to, to give you the necessary preparation. Well, the only one he could find that was willing to, to help him uh, take him under his wing, so to speak, was a pastor from the denomination of Christian Missionary Alliance, the CMA. And uh, certainly there are several doctrinal differences that we would have with the CMA, one of them being eternal security. And um, as he was learning from this pastor, he, the pastor was like teaching him one thing, and he would see that it seems like his Bible would say something else. But he didn't know what to, to do about it. You're, you're cut off from the rest of the world, and it's like, okay, I, I guess this is the, the way it is. He, he didn't really know what else to do. And he was an up-and-comer within the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, in fact, today, if he would have stayed in that denomination, he would probably be the number one or number two man in, in that whole denom national denominational structure. But he was eventually given a church to pastor, and, and shortly after that, the local government officials began persecuting Christians in his area. And uh, he heard, heard about this refugee camp, and one night, God impressed him greatly upon his heart. He needed to go to this camp. He didn't know why, it was just God wanted him to go. So he got his church assembled the next morning and said, I believe God wants us to go to Thailand to this refugee camp. You're more than welcome to come with us if you would want to stay behind, you know, Go ahead, the choice is yours, but we're leaving. Shortly after he and several of the families in that church that went with him left, uh, the, the, the Lao authorities came in and they bulldozed down the church building. They arrested the men that stayed behind, did not feed them for a whole week. At the end of the week, they brought them some food to eat. Some of the men did not trust the police. Some of the men were so hungry they ate the food. Well, in the middle of the night, those who ate the food woke up with in severe intestinal pain. And by morning light, they were dead. They were poisoned to death. And so Lee Sang had just escaped this when we met him in the refugee camp. And as a couple preachers do when they get together, begin trying to see where each other stands. And, and so I asked him, you know, what group are you with? And he said, I'm with the CMA. And he says, what about you? And I said, I'm a Baptist. And he gets this funny look on his face, Pastor Demlo. He says, what's a Baptist? I have never heard of a Baptist. And so knowing CMA does not believe in eternal security, we started uh, going, having a Bible study right there on eternal security. And then <laughs> Pastor Humphrey, this is true. If I'm lying, I'm dying. He says, uh, do Baptists believe the Bible? And I said, yes, we do. He goes, I knew that's what the Bible taught. I just didn't know anyone who believed it. 
And over the next several days, we began going through uh, various Bible distinctives, or Baptist distinctives, I should say, which is really just Bible doctrine, right? And he's, each, he's right down the list. He's like, yeah, that's right. And then we'd study, study the next one. Yeah, that's right. Yep, that's right, that's right. And then one day, he comes up to me and he says, we've been talking, you know, the other Christian adults and the leaders there, and so we've been, we've been talking. He said, we need to be scripturally baptized. We don't have scriptural church authority. And that's when they asked, would you be willing to come and start a church? So that was happening at the same time with that man with the hundred names on the list. And, and all these things were happening at the same time. And God just birthed this church right, right before our eyes. And um, after, after the, the, the refugees were sent back to, to, to Laos and the brethren were scattered, in, in many of the areas where they were scattered, um, they would hear, oh, you guys were in this refugee camp in Thailand. I heard about this church. Can you, can you come and speak in our church? You know, I heard you got some Bible training. Can you come and speak in our church? And they would say, no, we can't. Well, why not? Because we're Baptists. Well, what's a Baptist? And they had the opportunity to, to explain. Now, were there Baptists in Laos already? Yes, I, I believe that there were. I don't think there was many but they were primarily, if there was, primarily limited to the actual Lao people that were there and maybe in, in the cities. After all, it's a communist country. But uh, um, it, it, amongst this people group in, in this country, they, they, had, they had no one has ever heard of, of, of a Baptist. And um, there was a day when uh, a pastor, an assistant pastor, trekked a couple days to come and visit Lee saying, and um, he said, what, what's all this about? And they, they spent a few days and he was teaching them the Bible and, and they, you know, what a Baptist is and, and just really just, we believe the Bible and those two men went back to their church and retaught it to their church and a few days later, they, he, he gets a call, uh, Lee Sang does and, and says, you know, our, our whole church, we, we want to become a Baptist church. And you have to understand, they, when they went back, they weren't trying to convert people to be a Baptist. That, that wasn't their goal. That wasn't their plan. It was just that as people began to come in contact with them and finding these people actually believe the Bible, and, and that so encouraged them and moved them that they could actually believe the Bible too, that the light of God's word uh, began to, to, to give them truth and began to see their needs for their, their need for for these things and um, <clears throat> I, I could share several testimonies with you uh, I got about 10 minutes I think I can get a couple of these in um, when by the way when God birthed that church and Pastor Skeving came and we baptized the, the charter members, the, the men of that church, and then um, that church was started. Then they had called they they had called Lee Sang to to become their pastor, and so and um, but after they were returned to to Laos and they they were scattered. They were scattered in pockets, and 
Lee Sang and a couple other of the, the, the church leaders were resettled in an area that was just outside the capital city of Vientiane. And so the church never voted to disband. It was just relocated from Thailand to, to, to Laos. But uh, so that was Nam Khao Baptist Church just now in another location, but with min most of its members scattered. There was one family that was relocated to this area where there are no other Christians. And the village chief was so upset because now I got Christians in my village and woe is me, the world's coming to an end with these pesky Christians. And they, uh, this family ended up uh, renting some land, planting crops. God gave them a bumper crop. They went and sold their produce. They paid off their debts. And, and with the extra food that they had, they went through the village. And there were older people who physically couldn't farm anymore, and people weren't helping them at all. But they went through giving food, sharing their food with them. And they were so like, what are you doing? You know, if this situation was reversed, we wouldn't help you. And they said, well, we're Christians. And we believe this is what God would have us to do. And so we give this to you in Jesus' name. And in time, the heart, the village hearts was softened towards these, this group. To the point to even the village chief allowed them to be able to assemble in their home for, for worship. And that eventually over the years, that was the group. In the, I mentioned the group in the video that was a church that was going to be organized last year, but delayed due to COVID-19. That was this group right here. There was another man in his 20s that was <laughs> relocated to this particular area, and he was extremely zealous, and he was preaching Jesus Christ everywhere he went. Now, according to the Laotian Constitution, there's freedom of religion, but as it's practiced, there, there, there isn't. And the persecution of Christians doesn't come from the top of the government. It's all localized. You can have some areas of more persecution in areas where there's really light and some areas where there isn't. So it really depends on where you're located. But this particular area, he was witnessing and preaching Jesus Christ to everyone he could. And soon the, the police came and, and arrested him, confiscated his Bible, arrested him, brought him to the jail and said, if you don't stop preaching and teaching Jesus Christ, this is going to be your home for a very long time. And he stuck out his hands like this. He said, then arrest me right now because I'm not going to stop. And the police were so taken back because no one had stood up to their threatenings, they didn't know what to do. They just gave back his Bible and told him to go home and don't talk about Jesus. Well, the, the, the I don't know what you call it, governor of this local, of this area heard what was going on and he called a meeting. He called a meeting for uh, all the police and all the Christians, let's just come together. We're just going to have a big meeting. We're just going to settle this. And so the day of the meeting came, and, and this Baptist was going to come to the meeting, and the other Christians are saying, don't go to this meeting. Don't go. It's a trap. They're going to use it to arrest you and take you out to the jungle and shoot you. He's like, forget you guys. <laughs> I'm going to see what all this is about. So he attends the meeting, and so you have all the police on this side, and the side for the Christians, you have this one Baptist on the front row. <laughs> and the governor says, he says, now, he said, now, you, you cannot force anyone to become a Christian. Do you understand that? And, of course, he just smiled, because, of course, he, we can't force anyone to become a Christian. So, aye, aye, sir, not a problem. And then he looks at the police, the governor. And he says, and you all 
leave him alone. And just like that, where there was an area of increased persecution, God just snuffed it right out. Uh, there's, there's just so, there's just many other testimonies that could be given about what God has done back in a communist country. Um, and again, many of the local Hmong people, as they were hearing about these Baptists and wanted to, to, to join in, they didn't want man-made religion. They didn't want man-made tradition. And here was just the Bible where you could just believe the Bible and practice Bible Christianity. And it, it really attracted uh, that people group to, to, to them. <clears throat> those Hmong people, those Hmong Baptists, are able to do something that no Western missionary is able to do. And that is to saturate a whole region and a people group with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a closed communist country. And I believe meeting these people was a divine appointment. God had prepared those refugees for our arrival, and miracle after miracle resulted of our time with them. Let me rewind the clock back to uh, the end of uh, December of 2009. The end of 2009. That was when the refugees were being repatriated from Thailand to Laos. We were in our home in Bangkok. It was a very somber, quiet day in our house. We knew what was going on. You could see the reports on TV, on the social media, on the, uh, you know, online. And we were wondering, you know, are, are we ever going to see these people again? You know, these people that we come to love. And as I said, it was just a real quiet day that day. And, and I sat there in my office and I was quietly reflecting on our four-year experience with them. And wondering why God allowed us to play this part in their life. And as I sat there in deep contemplation, God caused my mind to drift back roughly 10 years before, to that radio station editing room where I had prayed, God, would you do something like this in my life? And it was as if God whispered to my heart and said, this is an answer to that prayer. I'd completely forgot about that prayer. But aren't you glad that though we may forget the prayers that we pray, God does not forget. Amen. God is still doing great things. It's not 100 years ago. It's not 200 years ago. But still today, in Syria, with your missionary, Fiji, and Laos, and other places. And so as a close here, I just really want to challenge each and every member of Plaque Road Baptist Church here to really consider praying that prayer in your heart. God, would you do something like that in my life? It may be that he will direct you to another foreign field somewhere or somewhere here in, 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 the, in, in the U.S. Or maybe to somewhere, you know, where he is 
preparing somebody for the gospel. It may be at work. It may be someone just down the street. It may be someone at the store. And so even if God's plan for your life isn't to, to, to send you to another country, you can still pray that prayer. God, would you bring me to a people, even, even right here, that you're preparing for the gospel. And I challenge you that this morning. May God bless the service to follow and may his word go forth in power and um, we'll be in prayer for that. Um, before I close in prayer, just a quick question. Do you, do you live stream your morning services? Are they live streamed to Facebook? Okay. Um, nor, we normally are discouraged from doing this, but I don't know how many minutes before the service this morning begins that the live stream will kick in. But uh, if, you, if you are on Facebook, I encourage you to, right before the service starts, to go on Facebook, go to this, the page of Platte Road Baptist Church, and it should show the live stream going. And at that moment, I ask you to do a couple things. Like it and then hit the share button. I don't know what your viewership on a typical Sunday is, is on Facebook, but as you share it to your personal profile there and maybe your coworkers that are your friends with, maybe your neighbors that you're friends with, maybe they're sitting at home this morning scrolling through Facebook and they'll see that notification comes in their feed and uh, they would be able to click on that and watch the service here this morning. You just click share and say, you know, join us this morning on our live stream. It's something simple as that. And uh, that's one way to be able to, to get the gospel into your friends and acquaintances right here uh, in North Pole and in the region area here. So let's close in prayer. Father, we ask your blessings to be upon the service to follow. May your word go forth in power and accomplish that which you please. Thank you for the testimony with the Hmong people and, and what you've done there, as well as a tremendous testimony there in Fiji as well. And it just causes me just to be in awe of what, of what you do when we just follow biblical principles. And I, I couldn't be in all these places in a communist country in Southeast Asia, but, but you made it happen. And all we can say is glory to God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.